You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Reality Check Radio. Welcome back to RCR Reality Check Radio. You're with Marie and joining me this morning is Rhodes Scholar, writer, empower of women, host of the Outspoken podcast and champion for freedom and liberty, Dr. Naomi Wolf. Good morning and welcome to Counterculture. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So the art of civil discourse, is it dead? Well, that's a great question. I mean, I hope we're about to have civil discourse. It's definitely, you know, injured. I mean, social media, the combination of social media, cancel culture and AI, which introduces bots and trolls to um, make people feel that ideas are dangerous or that they can't have a civil disagreement, um, has created new challenges that I've never seen before in my lifetime. Um, and, and also algorithms make it impossible for you to necessarily see or find points of view that differ with your own if if what you're doing in, in looking for different viewpoints is, you know, res- restricting yourself to social media. Uh, in, in human space, I think people do a good job, but um, universities are no longer free speech uh, defenders, uh, newspapers are bought and sold. So it, it's a bad time for freedom of speech and civil disagreement. Mm. There's an Auckland professor here that came out uh, with a blog post that's gone very viral in this country in the last uh, week or 10 days or so. And he's critically spoken out about the seismic shift of politics within the academy to the left. Do you think that that's now endemic and can it be fixed? Well, you know, I come from the left. So mm. I until 2020 wouldn't have thought that shifting left you would have thought it was a corrective but now I think horrible things are happening under the guise of the left I actually believe that um communism you know particularly Chinese Communist Party communism is subverting and seeking to alter and destroy Western cultures and I include New Zealand and and doing so specifically by flowing money to universities and making sure that some points of view are subsidized and others are dialed down or destroyed. So one thing I've seen, well, two horrible trends um, at at universities. In the United States, some of the most prestigious universities, including my alma mater, Yale, get more from HHS, uh, Health and Human Services funding from the U.S. government, than they do from tuition. So as a result, they literally parrot whatever um, horrific, tyrannical, vaccine mandating nightmare the the government insists that they parrot and they have been trafficking their own students i mean they're uh yale imposed a, a bivalent booster mandate on the whole student population before letting them come back to school they just lifted it thanks to activism on on our part you know and our colleagues but that really censors speech because people can't raise questions you know that that are critical of the funders and the other thing that is very bad is that China will flow money through cutouts to, and even through um, centers of cultural outposts on universities called the Confucius Institutes, and they'll fund um, professorships and so on. I mean, Harvard is a great example. There was a professor at Harvard who was literally a Chinese asset, you know, spying for China. But even without having people actively spy for China, what's happening is that the Western tradition, you know, the canon is being defunded. Grants are not going for people to teach Byron and Shelley and, you know, Plato and Aristotle. Um, Grants are going 
only or primarily to uh, disciplines that critique Western culture and that that kind of highlight our divisions and our shortcomings as as societies. And so as a result, young adults are being thoroughly indoctrinated and they're scared to say things like, you know, well, I think it's important to listen to multiple points of view or I'm not sure, you know, biological men belong in women's sports or anything that that goes against the diktats passed down through these cutouts by the Chinese Communist Party. People are are done away with reputationally or ostracized or switched off um, from networks. So that is definitely happening. And it's really, really bad. Because there is horizontal policing happening across all spectrums, whether it be in medical or the academy. Is tenure even protecting a lot of professors that are trying to speak out? Or is that now becoming an institution in name only? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, first of all, in America, anyway, so few positions now are tenured. And the the ones who had tenure have retired, you know, overwhelmingly. So the whole teaching industry is being kind of farmed out to desperately poor graduate students or or uh, untenured, you know, associate professors who have no leverage at all and are terrified and don't depart from the orthodoxy. Even tenured professors, I just have an email from a a scientist who's a professor who's I believe tenured and he's been he's being subjected to an ethics investigation and a retracted paper showing how many people had been injured or killed by the mRNA vaccines and it's a thoroughly accurate peer reviewed paper um, and he's a thoroughly respectable person and so they're going after him with an ethics inquiry I've seen that a lot I mean. Uh, Dr. McCullough, I believe, was affiliated with the university. He wasn't teaching, but they go after credentials. They go after licenses. They, I've heard of, of uh, oh, poor Mark Crispin Miller. My gosh, really distinguished pr- professor at NYU teaching um, propaganda and media studies. I, and he's been doing so forever. So he taught a propaganda course on p- propaganda, and he was talking about COVID messaging and about masking. He literally had a public health uh, like committee and they're showing up in every institution in the United States. I wrote about this in my book, The Bodies of Others, who wrote to his students critically of him. And then he had an investigation from his dean and his colleagues. He has tenure. And then he was put on like administrative leave, um, literally for asking the right questions in a course about asking questions. So there are many ways to inhibit academic openness. Mm. Even not going that far, like we were at a protest at Yale to protest the, this vaccine mandate. And a lot of young adults were very curious and interested, but they were scared to talk to us. And they say that literally it's a CCP style social credit system on some campuses because literally they get switched off if they're like late for a PCR test or if they if they don't comply. It's called being non-compliant. So it's a very non-Western non-post-enlightenment, non-human rights view of the individual that these poor kids are being socialized into. Here in New Zealand, we did actually go full vaccine certificate passport system. Yeah, so that uh, started December 2021 and ended, I think, April 22. It was interesting. It was exactly that. It was this a form of social credit system and we weren't able, our movements were quite heavily restricted. So my entire family are unvaccinated. What we did discover was a parallel structure, almost like a speakeasy type community, because through lockdowns, 
they worked so hard to keep you apart. And with through censorship, they work incredibly hard to stop you talking to each other. But we actually found that we needed to go grassroots. And that's when we discovered on the street, the neighborhood street that we live in, it's nearly about one third. We're all in the same situation we were in. And we would never have found that if we hadn't walked. Dog walking is how we found this out. Walking the dog and talking to our neighbors when we were told that we weren't allowed to talk to our neighbors. And once we discovered that, it's like, okay, fine. If you're going to impose that, we're going to do this. Thank God. I I worry about New Zealand all the time. I worry about Australia. There are countries around the world that I worry about, but I, I think New Zealand and Australia were, along with Israel and Canada, kind of petri dishes. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, Jacinta Ardern was insane. Like she was a complete, in my view, psychotic world economic hub. Believe me, many of our listeners on this <laughs> share that view, so you're not alone. <laughs> I don't mean to offend anyone, but she she was among the worst of the worst. And what happened, you know, and, and I love New Zealand and I love Australia. These are some of my favorite places in the world. And to think that this country that was so civilized and so aware of human rights issues, you know, compared to other countries, you guys score very high or you did pre-2020 on the kind of equality index and, and you were a free open society with lots of points of view. And New Zealanders are, you know, outspoken, sassy, you know, critically thinking people to see the tyranny uh, that was imposed on New Zealand, you know, I, and I'm going to add Australia. I, I worry a lot because that kind of that kind of rigorous lockdown um, and the social credit system and so on, it it's traumatizing, right? It traumatizes people. So I haven't known really if parts of New Zealand society survive the way they had before. So it sounds like you're saying a third is a lot of, of people. You know, if there's a third of New Zealanders who are determined to create a parallel society, that's um, that's encouraging. We were kept apart. Like we were deliberately kept apart, did actually have to actively hunt out. And it is slowly improving now. What I found most terrifying was how willing people were to comply and just give up liberties and freedoms as they were just the most natural thing in the world to give away. That I personally found chilling. Because, I mean, America is the home of liberty. You know, you've got this incredible constitution. Did you even sense that across there? In your book, you talked about it, and the bodies of others living in New York. I actually found the first few chapters of your book really emotional because you were describing the thought processes and the experiences your husband and yourself were having as you were seeing all of these measures being unfold and the feelings that you were feeling. And I was like, yes, I just remember having exactly those feelings and the disquiet that this yeah. could actually happen somewhere where you believed it would never happen. Are you, yeah. How's New York now? It, I mean, it's not back to what it was before. It's dramatically changed um, and it's changed in ways. And by the way, for anyone who doesn't know, the book is called The Bodies of Others, COVID-19 and the War Against the Human. And it is indeed about, you know, that horrible time, which is not behind us completely and, and who was behind it and what the, the goal was. And the goal was to keep us apart, to dissolve human society um, so that we could be reintroduced into a mechanistic WEF slash CCP slash Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation um, slash WHO global tyranny um, in which a handful of people have all the stuff and no one has the rights and freedoms that we had before except those very top. It's a pretty 
commonly accepted thesis now on our side of the you know viewpoint spectrum but at the time uh it it wasn't so i'm i'm glad i wrote it when i did no new york is not the same i mean once you know look the analogies with an abusive relationship are so obvious even if your husband or your boyfriend and i'm using the gender like i know women can be abusers too but they're smaller than men so um even even if your husband or boyfriend only beat you up once that relationship is never going to be the same you're never going to be not walking on eggshells and trauma is trauma even if you're only raped once you know that stays with you only right that stays with you for your whole life and messes with your sense of trust and your sense of judgment and your sense of self-worth all the things so i see all of new york is still traumatized our i'm in new york state right now our our governor governor hokel we narrowly escaped having ccp style uh, quarantine camp here in new york state and i know they have them in australia they have them in china i don't know if they have them in new zealand you know that's that's the end when you're afraid that you'll be dragged off to a quarantine camp and your kids or you'll be separated from your kids that there's no no pushing back from that so i guess what i would say is um New York looks kind of like it did before, like there are people going to the gym and there are people going out to eat and going to clubs, but Americans in the states that were locked down um, or mandated, well, you know, they're not going to be the same in this lifetime. They, and, and I'm not going to be the same looking at them because these are people who thought it was fine overnight to strip me of you know any social equality to keep me from entering a restaurant to eat a meal with my kids they were fine creating a two-tier jim crow type system you know people from all walks of life to not let me sit at a lunch counter you know indoors i mean we we know the history of that in the united states right and just like you said new zealand what was so shocking is that people complied i mean in in new york city which is the great melting pot where immigrants and people from all backgrounds have come from freedom, religious liberty, um, you know, racial inclusion for decades and centuries in different cases, that that it, in a matter of, of weeks, it, it would embrace a two-tier society, happily say, I see your nose, cover your nose, happily say, you can't come in here without your, ex, you know, Excelsior Pass, which is our version of the vaccine pass. That's a trauma that we're not going to, to get over on either side. Mm -hmm. And there are other interesting designated outcomes and i trace these in the bodies of others the whole the built landscape has changed in new york and that's because during those two years when we weren't allowed to assemble we also couldn't meet in landmark committees or you know lobby our elected officials or go to town halls and take our masks off and say what we had to say so a lot of of um unpopular changes or changes that would be unpopular like destroying neighborhoods destroying um the built character of neighborhoods destroying landmarking was that was rushed in for kind of industrial housing for oligarchs children i mean i don't know what they're going to do with it it looks like money laundering but there's just massive it looks like houston now and so it's a completely different city mm -hmm. and all of those little boutiques little restaurants little bodegas little shoe you know hair stores that were such a fascinating part of the kaleidoscope of walking the streets of New York, those are gone because those are the, the intentionally, those are the couldn't hold on for a year and a half with no revenue. Mm. Whereas Chase and TD Bank and, you know, Chipotle are, are have rushed right in. It's like a vertical mall because they could afford to um, wait it out.
Mm. Or they say if you don't study history, you're doomed to repeat it. Talk me through Israel, because I find what happened in Israel an absolute conundrum mm. in terms of the compliance and literally being the lab for Pfizer. I mean, what are your views on that? Because I know that Israel is somewhere very close and dear to your heart. Yeah. Um, I mean, first of all, Israel's been practicing coercing and you know controlling populations through through the way it manages the Palestinian population, um, you know, for decades. So uh, the oppressor becomes the oppressed. You know, people, if you're going to keep people in a kind of open air prison, you, you've accepted the idea of open air prisons in your national concept. And so when health authorities say, okay, it's time for an open air prison to keep you safe, or it's time for us to turn your home into a prison to keep you safe, you've already got that idea of um, the management of populations. You know, again, trauma. I mean, I once spoke to a psychologist who specializes in the Holocaust and the legacy of the Holocaust. And she, she was Israeli and she was very critical of is, Israel's um, policies toward Palestinians. And she said that this was unworked out trauma from the Holocaust. You know, if you don't kind of process your PTSD uh, and, you know, via the oppressor, then you, you align with the oppressor. I think that may be simplistic, but you've got a tiny country where people are constantly being told that they're surrounded by enemies, right? So they're scared mm -hmm. already. And then you say, okay, now the virus is your enemy. You're surrounded by the virus. Uh, it, it's the same thing all over the world with little tweaks in history. Um, you know, the Australians were scared. I just got off the a podcast with Australians and they talked about how frightened they were. You know, you're on an island. The media is completely creating an echo chamber of fear, mm. fear, fear. You have no way to get access to information to let you know that this is all being exaggerated or distorted. Um, so you you do fear, right? You you believe what you're told. And the other thing is the Stockholm syndrome. I think people want to believe that they're it's very hard for people to accept that their governments would murder or lie to them. Wow. I agree. You know, I'm Jewish and an essay I haven't written yet, but I will, if I can find the words for it, a lot of the people who are leading the, um, the Liberty movement in our country come from backgrounds that have genocide in them. Mm. Like Leslie Mnookin's Armenian, um, Dr. Paul Alexander, uh, has, um, I think is of African descent, partly, um, lots of Irish people, Dr. Malone, my husband, Brian O'Shea, Peter McCullough, you know, they had genocide imposed on them by Britain. So I think either if you have trauma and genocide in your background, you're, you're so traumatized, you want to believe it can't happen again, right? Or you recognize it quickly and you mobilize against it. I can't explain why people complied in Israel. I guess I feel a little bit defensive because you guys complied the fuck out of yourselves. No. And yeah. reasons you, you know, and, and so did Australia and, and so did Canada. Like these are three mm. prosperous, educated countries. Like what, you know, what are you thinking? I could, I could do the same thing. Right. Mm. So I just want to share that I feel a little bit defensive, but uh, you know, also we don't know how, who was bought. Right. I mm. do think that countries like, Australia and Canada and, and Israel were purchased uh, for experimentation. I know that my husband did a, a deep dive on internal Australian documents 
legally and found that a Chinese individual was often seen like unnamed, not a not a member of the government was at you know sensitive internal meetings. So I, I think that other countries have bought you guys up already. Mm. You may not know, or the World Economic Forum via you know China or via the Bill mm. and Melinda Gates Foundation has bought up the Jacinda Ardern's or the mm. Scott Parsons of of the world or the Justin Trudeau's. China has had a tremendous amount of influence here for a long time, so that that would not surprise me whatsoever. And I think too with Israel, in comparison between Israel and New Zealand, both very small countries, there were people like there was in this country trying to ask questions and push back, but the level of censorship and suppression both there and here meant that our voices weren't able to be heard in a wider context. I think those voices are starting to sort of come out as more and more data comes out. I just found it quite sad, I think, that fear was such a paralyzing influence. We've got both our countries had a deep trust in the social contract. As you said, we couldn't believe that our governments would, you know, lie to us and, and do these things to us. We trust it because that's in our nature yeah. to trust. I'm going to gently kind of push back a little bit there. There was a, an abundance of data showing that there was something horribly wrong hmm. by November of 2020, you know. Which we um, never got to say exactly. I mean, were you asking for it, right? I mean, I guess the, the reason I'm pushing back a little is hmm. that I think there's no time anymore for the kind of rationalizations that would have worked even recently. Hmm. Um, Australians and New Zealanders need to be bringing business to a halt across their countries, um, overthrowing their governments and arming themselves, you know, and I am a peaceful person, but one reason you guys got so badly abused and could be abused again is you don't have a second amendment and, and you don't have a first amendment, you know, you guys need to pass a proper constitution and you need to prosecute these criminals. And, and I, I guess where I'm going is, it's very sad for me, and I see this in Europe as well. They they were so sneaky. They took away the guns of the Australians anyway. I don't know the situation in, in New Zealand. They took away nation states in Europe with the um, EU. They, they got everyone used to this cushy, easy, you know, pleasant sounding parliamentary system. And then they completely pulled the rug out from under you and there was nothing you could do, right? And by then, there, respectfully, there were habits of let's not rock the boat, let's mm -hmm. just fly our way out of this, why aren't they listening to us? And I guess what I'm trying to say is that scares me, you know, more than mm -hmm. anything. Um, and so what I am seeing in the United States, thank God, and it's taken a lot, it's taken a lot of fighting, but you know, I, I just want to say it is that because we do have a constitution, because we do have a second amendment and because of our state system where some states, you know, stayed open and others closed and people are able to influence, but you have a state system also from what I understand. No, we're very, very linear here. Oh gosh. Yeah. Well, I guess I'm just going to say like, you know, please wake up Australia and New Zealand. It, nothing good is going to happen if you guys mm -hmm. don't resist much more um, assertively than than you are. And I guess I'm just, I have no more patience for any excuses. Mm. Like, you know, yes, it was hard to find whatever, you know, create your own media, you know, like it was hard for us to find. I, I gave up everything to tell the truth. You know, I gave up everything, but, but I'm educated enough 
that anyone is, right? To look at the COVID maps that were being, I'm sure, fed to New Zealand, fed to Australia, fed to Britain, and ask where are the data sets. You know, you're 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 educated enough to ask where are the data sets, where are they? There were people that were doing that. So my husband was one. So my husband's actually medical. So my husband is completely mandated out and he's had to like completely start again. We felt so strongly about this because the data, he was all about the data. He had that data, as you said, from November when that Japanese study was released primarily around the spike protein. And he was apoplectic about that because on New Zealand television, we had our medical leaders, in adverted commas, telling us, no, it stays in the injection site, it doesn't go anywhere. And of course, there was hard data, peer-reviewed, solid science from a nation that wasn't so influenced by pharmaceutical interests saying, well, actually, no, that is not the case. And women are most at risk. Now in this country, we have, with Mother's Day this past weekend, a government who is now heavily promoting COVID boosters to pregnant women aged between 16 and 29. And actually it's not, they're not promoting it to to pregnant mothers, they're promoting it to pregnant people, which is another personal bugbear of mine. The data is irrefutable now. It is out there. It cannot be contested. And yet the propaganda machine continues to roll on and continues to say the same old tropes that have been broken down, that it's safe and effective, that you need to do it to protect your baby. It won't pass the blood uh, placental barrier. I mean, all of these things. It is just absolutely infuriating. Well, that's very upsetting. um, And I'm really sorry about what happened to you and your husband. Horrible. And I'm very sorry to hear that they're still going after pregnant women in New Zealand with it. I hope that our uh, our research reports, the Pfizer documents reports are reaching Mm -hmm. at least people like you in Australia, because that is abundant documentation of how dangerous these are, especially for pregnant women, um, but for everyone, and that they lack efficacy. You know, you did all the right things, right? And, And this is not aimed at you, but we have to stop waiting for them to tell us the truth. Right. I mean, I say in the bodies of others, that's one of the most radical spaces is just a living room where humans are talking to each other or a town hall or an auditorium or a church or a synagogue where humans are talking to each other. We've literally become so hypnotized by passively ingesting information electronically that we say things like the propaganda machine is starting instead of gathering humans together and saying, okay, what do you know? What do you know? And I I guess what I'm trying to say to everybody is don't don't trust the abuser anymore. Don't trust the newspapers. Don't trust your elected officials. They are trying to kill you. They're trying to kill your children. You know, I've given you all the documentation. It's on the, all the reports are there for free on dailycloud.io. There are 70 reports based on the Pfizer documents released under court order showing a genocidal attack on humanity, especially on human reproduction. And the book is out now, um, the Pfizer Documents Research Reports book compiled by 3,500 medical and scientific experts who volunteered to read through these documents. And it shows the greatest crime against humanity in recorded history, especially aimed at women and reproduction. So when I say I'm a little tired or impatient, I don't, it's, it's past the point where listening to anyone official is going to do anything but feed you into a giant oven 
and it's past the point where you can think that complying is going to rescue you. I mean, I've studied, I don't just mean you, I mean, everyone Mm. in New Zealand, everyone in Australia, everyone in Canada. I've studied, I wrote a book called The End of America in 2008 about how um, tyrannies overthrow democracies. And at this point, I don't know if your emergency measures are still in place. Um, On Wednesday, the WHO is going to be voting on a treaty to drain sovereignty of your country and my country and every country around the world. Um, There are, you know, fighting age men pouring over our southern border. I'm a big supporter of legal immigration, but, you know, that's happening. You know, my my husband's view is that we're we're under attack and it's an asymmetrical attack. And so is New Zealand and so is Australia. So is Canada. With the WHO treaty, they can land, you know, a battalion on our shores or your shores and call them public health experts and start rounding us up and you have no guns mm. you know and you have you have no um habits of resistance I'm, I'm this is not aimed at you i'm like it's so heartbreaking to be now i'm talking internationally this is a breakthrough i hadn't been same thing in italy same thing in britain same thing in in canada uh, like the last two and a half years in places that don't have a constitution and don't have a second amendment Everyone is so depressed, so broken, so traumatized. And I, I guess I I don't mean to like lecture or berate anyone, but like literally the next step is is what China does to their own people. Mm. You know, they'll be harvesting our organs next, you know, but mm. but not in America, because we're 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 literally gave up, like half the country's given up on our elected officials and we're mobilizing locally. We're finding out where our food sources come from. We're training, we're learning to shoot. We're, you know, keeping our weapons stockpiled. Um, we're, we're resisting uh, laws to take away our weapons. We're um, learning about how our local um, laws work. We're running for town council. So that's kind of what I'm trying to say to you, not you personally, but all of New Zealand, all of Australia, all of Italy, you know, all of Canada, stop waiting right? You have to give up and start over. You have to give up on them treating you fairly, on them representing the situation fairly. They will lie. They will try to kill you. It is time to rebuild from the bottom up. I'm talking with Dr. Naomi Wolf here with Counterculture and Marie. You are so right. And I think that is beginning to happen. We have an election here in October. The political machinations are already beginning to start, obviously, with the resignation of Jacinda Ardern. So that was the first thing in January. We have a mixed member proportional system here. So unlike the two party system in the United States, we do have the ability for alternate voices to be heard. And I think that's been one of the things about our democracy that has given us all the fruits of freedom and liberty in the past. However, um, using the COVID measures and the fear to almost paralyze the populace the current government were voted in with an absolute majority at the last election in 2017 we have seen a lot of these tyrannical measures in that time because it was completely linear it was essentially a dictatorship in democracy's clothing we're now fully into election season here so hopefully things will improve. Now, you're about to head into primary season up in the United States, and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has announced his candidacy uh, to have a run at the Democratic nomination. I mean, I think for a classic liberal Democrat, that is must be music to, to their ears to finally actually have a candidate who will restore 
some of the tenets of classic liberalism. How is so far is he being received? And do you think he's going to be given a fair shot by the media? You know, I'm an acquaintance of his uh, and I respect a lot of things about him. I'm not allowed to endorse. I'm supposed to be nonpartisan. So I, I just need to keep my remarks, mm. you know, short of endorsing. But that said, I, I'm actually quite disappointed he's running as a Democrat. I think that's a mistake. I, you know, ha have served as an advisor on two presidential campaigns on the Democratic side. They're criminals. The current, um, I mean, they weren't at that time, but mm. now they are. The current DNC, they are murderous criminals. They, they've committed treason. The Biden administration is thoroughly in the pocket of the Chinese Communist Party and making war on its own people. So through the Democratic Party. And I've sat at state legislatures across the country and the Democrats are acting like petty Stalinists in lockstep. It is so scary. You can't budge them. They walk out of things in unison. They shut things down in unison. It's it's a criminal kind of mafioso type party now. I mean, the Republicans are not much better, but the trouble is if if given that RFK Jr. is running as a Democrat, he, you know, they'll do everything they can to keep him from being the nominee mm. and from getting elected. I wish he had run as an independent because I think there's a coalition of, in your country too, probably, people are realizing it's not about left versus right. It's about these monsters versus mm. everyone. It's about control. Exactly. Uh, you know, no, he's not getting a, a fair ride in the media but again, why, you know, he doesn't expect to, I don't think mm. like he's been, you know, reviled for a long time for doing the things he did at Riverkeeper, you know, for rivers, like he's mm. done for health and he's been reviled. But I don't think his campaign is doing a great job either. You know, they're not messaging in a way mm. that can break through the hostility uh, in the press. So sure, I'm glad he's running, but I would be gladder if he had taken another approach. The saying done in this part of the world, if America sneezes, we catch a cold. We watch the American elections very, very closely. And for us, having now two terms of exceptionally progressive governance, we are hoping that New Zealanders have had enough of the nonsense. They're waking up to it. I fully agree with you. I think the time to sit back and be silent and hope that it'll all settle down and go away is over. I mean, unless you change it, this is why this radio station was created, is that we needed to give all the voices out there who are not hearing their voices reflected in mainstream or legacy media a place that they can actually know that they're not crazy and that there are others out there that see the concerns that are there. I just want to jump in and say, Sorry to be such a downer, but the swing of the pendulum isn't going to fix it either because look at Scott Morrison, right? He mm. was a conservative. He, he let he did everything wrong. So I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is I I just don't believe that politics at a national level is going to solve this. It has to be local, local, local and um, grassroots. But anyway, go ahead. And we have seen this here. So this station is owned by a grassroots organisation that has been created uh, at the time of COVID to actually do exactly that, create communities. Um, yeah, and so you're right, we, it's starting, but it is taking its time to, to get there. What we're currently experiencing now is what I call a, a show of bread and circuses where they are downplaying a lot of the COVID measures. They know that that is now not palatable to the New Zealand public. And so everything here since the, the visit of Posey Parker a couple of months ago is all the, around the, the trans issue. We're five and a half million people 
the number of people that fall into that group is exceptionally tiny. Uh, and that's my concern is that, you know, so much noise has been made about that issue that actually lots of other stuff is going on behind it in the background in regards to sort of economic measures, um, military measures, as you said, the WHO treaties, all of these things. And it's we're all being distracted in one area. It's like, no, you need to be looking over here because this is what's. I totally agree with you. Um, that's exactly what it's for. You know, I'm a big supporter of LGBTQ rights. This craziness does not come from the trans community organically. It's um, superimposed. And it's exactly to distract us and to divide us and to keep us looking at the shiny object and the bearded men, you know, in dresses trying to read storybooks to children, which is no, literally no trans person I know would want to do that or would dress that badly, you know? Um, and it's it's totally um, a, a diversionary tactic. The other way you can tell that is even before the 2020, and by about 2019, I began to notice that AI was creating a lot of bots and trolls on whenever trans issues came up on social media platforms. And so I really thought, huh, you know, trans people are not the ones organically gaming these algorithms. So that's a really good indicator that um, it's, you know, again, part of this great reset, you know, Black Lives Matter. Again, I support, of course, Black Lives Matter, but that, you know, the money that funded mm -hmm. that, you know, rioting across our country, that was not grassroots organic, you know, people of color. That was straight from the CCP via cutouts. And that's happening, you know, around the world or, you know, World Economic Forum through Soros, through et cetera, or Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation through cutouts or the Clinton Foundation through cutouts. And so this is spectacle, you know, it's, mm. and it's the same around, around the world, the developed world. It's, you know, violence and name calling and people throwing things. And this is literally not how the LGBTQ community, you know, works organically. Mm. So your career has taken a big pivot in the last three years with everything that's gone on. Where to now? I mean, I know you've been writing for Brownstone, you're doing um, this research. Tell us what you're actually up to now and what where people can find this information. What are some of the resources that should, they should be hunting out if they're not already aware of it? Thank you. And I do apologize if I sounded stern. I'm just you're allowed to sound as stern as we call it a woodshed chat in this country. You've just given Kiwis a good woodshed chat, Naomi. So do not worry about that at all. Well, I you know, you never want to be the the easy for her to say person, you know, like it's it's I, I recognize that I'm in a, a more free context speaking to people in a less free context. So I I um just want to say I, you know, I love you guys and want want you to prevail. Um, all right, what, what's going on? So the big thing right now is the, the Pfizer Documents Research Analysis Reports book, which has just gone into its third printing. It's been sold out within like 48 hours in the last two printings. So you can go to Amazon and order it. And please do, because it will save lives for you to read it, but also distribute it to doctors and to your elected officials. I am, apart from that, I'm running Daily Clout, which is a, a new site devoted to democracy and uh, human rights around the world. And so if people listening to this want to report to me about New Zealand, what's going on here, anything, you know, what it's like to live day by day, uh, grassroots um, undertakings like the ones you've described, you know, just daily life, local local candidacies, we'd love to have uh, 
people write or send us video about um, democracy, activism, et cetera, human rights in in uh, New Zealand. What else am I doing? Those are the main things. It's a lot. <laughs> um, and I guess also people should know that there's a functionality on, on Daily Cloud, the news site that is like um, a surveillance-free Facebook. It's called Communities. And we've just launched it with new branding and you can basically um, promote anything, you know, without Facebook type harvesting of your data or surveilling you. Um, and you can also send any U.S. bill through state, uh, state or federal bill through social media. We don't yet have a Bill Cam New Zealand, but that's, we want, you know, there are 132 democracies and um, Bill Cam U.S. is so fantastic. You can just send the actual bill through social media, vote on it, interact with it, send it to the bill sponsor. It's been very effective for changing legislation. And uh, if people want to start a New Zealand uh, bill cam, um, it's, you know, we just need to raise like $35,000 and we can get that built as well. Mm. Oh, no, that sounds wonderful. I appreciate so much that you've been able to be so generous with your time this morning. Dr. Naomi Wolf here with Reality Check Radio. Stay tuned. More to come. Thank you so much. You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Reality Check Radio.